turn to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to read verses 1 through 12, a very short read. And it is an honor to stand here before you in his absence. Love my pastor, love my bishop. Thank you, pastor, for trusting in me. I hope to do well in your absence. Matthew 23, verse number 1, the scripture says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say, and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments, and love the uppermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren, and call no man your father upon the earth. For one is your Father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your Master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Verse 11 but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. This is a special service, and I'll get into detail later. But the title of this lesson this evening is To Be the Greatest. To Be the Greatest. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Savior, we love you. Thank you, God, for your many, many manifold works and goodness. I ask, God, that you would bless the remainder of this service, Savior. Touch your word, touch these lips of clay, God. Lord, and let this seed fall on good ground. Let it fall on good hearers that are not hearers only, but doers of the word. And we thank you, God, for your word and your presence that is in this place. God, continue to move in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. To be the greatest. The Bible says, he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And certainly in this world today, there is a lot of lobbying to be the greatest, to be number one, numero uno, to be the top dog, to be the greatest. And on the onset of this lesson, I want to emphasize that it isn't a bad thing. It isn't, it isn't a, an evil thing to want to be good at what you're doing, to want to be the best at what you're doing. As a matter of fact, I think that you should strive every day to be better than what you were yesterday. And the only way that you can achieve that fully is by living for God, obeying His Word, and being faithful to the house of God. Amen? We all should try and be better. And Jesus spent a lot of time dealing with His disciples and talking about leadership. And in this... He gave the greatest example of how to be a leader. Daniel had a vision of the Son of Man. You could read in Daniel chapter number 7, verse number 13. Daniel says, 
I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before me. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. And we know today who Daniel was talking about. And we serve that person that Jesus or that Daniel was talking about, which is Jesus. Thank God that he is the only God. Thank God that we know him and we know his name that we sung about already. What a great name it is. What a great honor it is to know who we worship. Amen. To know this ancient of days who has dominion and to, and to just have the blessed uh, assurance to know that he has chosen us. What a great responsibility. What a humbling, humbling thing to know that God has chosen us to bear his name and to preach his gospel and to work in his kingdom as ministers and as servants. But even before Daniel had this vision of this mighty ancient of days, the Son of Man was described totally different before by a prior prophet named Isaiah. Isaiah, actually beginning in verse 52 starts, or chapter 52 starts to talk about a servant. And then we get to chapter 53, and this is how he is described. Isaiah says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. This is totally contrasting to how Daniel describes this Son of Man to come. Here we read about a different part of this Messiah. Goes on to say that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. I'm thankful that he went to Calvary, and I'm thankful that he bore our sins on that old rugged cross. Because of that, we are healed today. Because of that, our spiritual sickness is healed. Because we can call on the name of Jesus and his blood will cover our sins. So I'm thankful today to be in a church that still preaches the one way to get to heaven. This gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, hallelujah, of Jesus Christ. Amen. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment 
And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Doesn't sound like this is the ancient of days that Daniel was talking about because we see a different side of our master. Doesn't sound like somebody who was supposed to have dominion. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. He, he is like a root out of a dry ground. There's no form in him. There's no comeliness in him. When we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. But this was the example that our master has set for us. He was the suffering servant. Emphasis on the word servant. And we can see that Jesus fulfilled the role of the servant in the greatest act of self-abnegation. He totally denied his status in some ways, being king of kings and lord of lords. He came as a humble servant. We see this in the book of John. John chapter 13 records Jesus ministering to his disciples. 13 chapter of John says that he rose from the supper and he laid aside his garments And he took a towel, he girded himself, he poured water into basins, and he began to wash the disciples' feet. This was a total act of humble servitude to those that he was ministering to, which is kind of contrasting to the book of John. Because when you open the book of John, the very first verse that you read about this suffering servant is that In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. John begins by talking about a God that was in the beginning that created all things. Yet we find also in the book of John many examples where Jesus shows his human side and he is a servant. He's willing to do whatever it takes to be a servant. And he is showing those that he's closely with how to serve. He's a divine God, yet he is a servant. And we find Thomas even declares in John chapter 20 and verse 28, he says, Behold, my Lord and my God, when he sees Jesus in his glorified body. So we know God, this man Jesus Christ, is great. And John talks about him being great. However, we also find him in his lowest of times in the book of John. John records a lot of the humanity of Jesus. It also says that the Word became flesh. John chapter 1 and verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt 
among us. One of the most beautiful things about understanding God in His oneness is to know that everything that we have gone through, every struggle that we have had or are going to have, every trial or every tribulation, you can rest assured that He was tempted in every way like as we are because He became flesh. The Word was made flesh. And he had temptations. That's why when we go to him, it's so important to understand his oneness. He was God in the flesh. Amen. He understands your pain. He wasn't disconnected and sent his son, a second part of the triune Godhead, to die for you. No, he came himself as God and died for you. Why? Because he loves you. He wanted to serve you truly. He has a passion for you. He wants to be with you in a place that he has prepared for you. And that's the kind of God I want to worship. That's the kind of God I want to declare unto, unto, unto other people. A God that cares for you. A God that understands what you're going through. A God who can serve you in the time of weakness. Amen. This suffering servant we find him sitting down in a well in Samaria, exhausted from walking to a trip north. He's so thirsty and he's so exhausted. Even though he's God, even though he's the Word made flesh from the beginning of time, he thirsts and he asks a woman of Samaria to give him something to drink. We find him full of emotion at the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus, this God of creation, this God who knows no time, because a day unto him is as a thousand years. He knows every thought. This morning, Brother Raymond talked about he, he's there with every sparrow that falls to the ground, whether it's dying or whether it's picking up things to build a nest or food. The Lord understands every sparrow. He knows the number of your head, or <laughs> the number of the hair on your head. I know the number of your head. You have one. And in all this, he still was the perfect God. When we find him at Lazarus' tomb, the Bible says that he wept. Even though he knew what was going to follow afterward, that he was going to command the stone to be rolled away, and he was going to call Lazarus forth. And he was going to come out of those grave clothes alive. Jesus still wept with emotion because he was a servant. He was a man. And now we see him taking the common place of a slave. And doing what slaves do. Washing the feet of disciples. And he tells them. I have set an example for you. This is an example. This is how you should portray yourselves. You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. What a setting! To know that in this upper room, this borrowed room, Brother Martin Fields, this room that he borrowed for just something temporary, he is washing disciples' feet. And in that room, there is even one who he knows is going to betray him. 
The Bible says that he excused him out of the room and washed the other 11 disciples' feet. No, he still was a true servant. And he washed the feet of the one that he knew who would betray him. What a lesson we can learn from that servant today on how we should treat others. There may be people that you know of in your close circle that have betrayed you. And there may be people that you don't know yet that are going to betray you. But it never, never takes away the opportunity for you to be a servant full of compassion and full of love. We should be full of love and willing to minister and willing to do whatever it takes to do right unto our brother and unto our sister. Why? Because Jesus taught this. He said, I've given unto you an example of how to be a servant. I don't know about you, but... One of the last words Jesus is going to say when we go to heaven and our names are written in that Lamb's book of life is he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to be a servant. Hallelujah. I want to be like God was. Hallelujah. And is. Amen. For unworthy sinners and at best unprofitable servants to, a, to adopt a sense of entitlement and a belief in their own importance reveals an abysmal failure to ponder the mysterious depths of the self-humbling of the man who is God. Everything that we do, all that we are, isn't to bring glory to ourselves. There is nothing in this flesh that we can glory in except the Holy Ghost. Everything that we do in the kingdom should be giving God glory. That's why praying in the well is so important. God, give me a right spirit. That's why when you're singing, you pray. Before you sing and you ask God to anoint you. Why? Because it's not about me. It's about Him. That's why when you're door greeting, you ask God, anoint me. Why? Because someone might come to those doors and you don't know what they're going through and the smile on your face and the hand you extend to shake theirs may mean everything to them and there be, may be a transfer of the anointing there and you may change somebody's life because you were doing the work of the kingdom of God and not for yourself. It's important to be a servant today in the house of God and God left us the example of how to be this servant, always ministering, always doing a work for the kingdom, never failing, but walking forward and doing the will of God. It's radically different than the other models of leadership in this world. And Jesus twice warned his disciples not to build their philosophy of leadership around the secular models of the day. He said, but not so with you, Mark chapter 10 Jesus called them to him as disciples and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Now, word minister there doesn't mean preacher. Doesn't mean someone that stands behind a pulpit, but it means somebody who is serving in the kingdom of God. Whosoever shall be great in this room today, and we should strive to be great, is going to be a minister for the kingdom of God. He goes on to say the same kind of thing in another verse, Luke chapter 22. 
And he said unto them, The king of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. I'm not looking for you to exercise lordship, Jesus is telling his disciples. I'm not looking at you to be bossy for personal status. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. Today I'm talking about how to be the greatest. Jesus gave us the example, and that is to serve, to be a servant. Amen. Amen. You can look at those leaders in the Bible, those secular leaders that operated on the basis of unquestioned and often arbitrary exercise of power over their subjects, binding obligations, and titles of respect. These are leaders that, that their positions were invested with power, prestige, and prerequisites. These are leaders that ruled the people, as in Matthew chapter number 2, King Herod. In the days of King Herod, he heard about this king that was going to be born of the Jews. And, and he has seen the star in the east, and there, there are people to come to worship him. And Herod heard about this, and, and he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together. And he demanded of them to know where Christ should be born. They said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet... And thou, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. But this was not his intent. He knew that this young child, this Messiah that Isaiah was prophesying about and that Daniel was prophesying about was going to be a ruler of the people. And this kind of jaded him. And so uh, Herod in verse 16, the Bible says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years of old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. This was a leader that was ruling in the wrong way. This was not a servant. This was not the greatest of all. And the Bible gives examples over and over of those that were battling for prestige, those that were looking to maneuver politically, those that had an unjust use of power. And you can read the Bible and find Agrippa and Felix and Festus, Agrippa uh, II. They all reveal these patterns of paranoia and bad leadership. This is not what Christ wanted the disciples to follow. This is not the template that he asked them to look towards. He kept telling, this is not going to be so among you. We know that the disciples were influenced by this type of tyranny and this type of leadership because James and John, the sons of thunder, man, they're really wanting a position, one on the left and one on the right hand of God. And Jesus told them, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink from the cup that I'm about ready to drink of? That cup of gall from being a servant, the suffering servant. Can you be a servant? 
This is what he's telling them. Can you serve like I'm going to serve? Can you die for a world like I'm going to die for a world? Can you be like I was described in Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? That really doesn't sound like the recipe for being a great, great leader that has dominion. But thank God that he is God and that he knew how to come to this world and die for our sins because he really is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I know this may sound, wow, do I have to die for people's sin? And do I, have to, do I have to be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? Well, I'm not saying that necessarily, but the Bible says to know him, we must know him the fellowship of his sufferings. And so I do know that as you get close to Christ, there will come those times. There will be moments when you will have suffering because some of us bought into the lie that every time we got the Holy Ghost or when we got the Holy Ghost that everything was just going to be hunky-dory and full of roses. And that's not true. But what is true is that he will always be with us and he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. Hallelujah. He is the suffering servant. And I'm completing this lesson because... The whole purpose and drive of what I am teaching today has everything to do with a church that is full of servants. This is a church that knows how to labor for God. We have great music. We have great singing because there's people serving in those capacities. Amen. We have great ladies' ministries. We have great Bible study teachers. We have great T-Rocket, a great T-Rocket ministry. Why? Because there are servants in those ministries that are looking forward to serving in the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. And so in this service today, I look across a, a great congregation. I see many servants. We're going to do something special at this time at the PAs that were designated to help to get in place. Speaking of PAs, pastor's assistance is what that stands for. And a pastor's assistant is a servant. And what we try and instill within these young men and women is a heartbeat for ministry. Because he that will be great among you shall be your minister. Is this good? And so... These young people that are working in PA ministry are serving in capacities like sound, booth, broadcasting, media, platform, assisting the pastoral ministry. Because the best thing that we can leave in the heart of our young people and our children and anybody who's new or even old in the house of God is that to be the greatest, you have to be a servant. Amen? To be the greatest, you have to willfully lay out self, get rid of self, and be focused on the kingdom of God. Amen? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seeking the kingdom, how can I do that? By serving in God's kingdom. So here we go. I've been teaching for 24 minutes and 58 seconds. And this is why I'm teaching this way. We have one of the